0: Let's take our Bibles this evening and turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 in our Bibles. It will not be our text. We'll get to our text in just a moment. As you're turning there, I want to read a note to you. Uh, Dear Trinity Baptist Church family, this note is from Garth Lynette Piper, our missionaries to New Zealand were with us last week. They write, thank you so much for allowing us to come and share what the Lord has been doing in our ministry in New Zealand that you have faithfully supported for over 20 years. We really enjoyed uh, staying in the Cedar Holm suite. That's our, mis- our uh, missionary rooms, or prophet's chambers. And dinner uh, with the Fergusons. We enjoyed your picnic and visiting with you all. Thank you so much for your very generous love offering. That helps so much as we have our home upkeep in New Zealand as well as traveling expenses here in the States. May God keep blessing you, Garth and Lynette Piper. And just to let you know, we were able to give uh, just under $3,000 to them. So I thought you'd like to know that. Uh, But that was uh, very exciting. So that's something to just praise God for. The giving has been wonderful throughout this year, and something I've never quite seen before, uh, quite like this. And we praise God for that. So you should rejoice with me in that. I ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Um, I'm going to read, uh, starting in verse 32. Of course, chapter 11 is about faith, uh, often called the hall of faith. I've heard it called that. Uh, All throughout this chapter, you read about people who by faith overcame and by faith obeyed God, and of course it defines what faith is. It tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God, and so when we read something like that, we automatically conclude, well, then I want to be a person of faith because I want to please the Lord. Um, I've defined for you faith on several occasions, maybe an overly simple definition, but faith is taking God at his word. Um, and that in, so that would include both the res, receiving of what God says, but also the doing of what God says, taking God at his word. Okay. Sometimes we like to say, I, I, I'm living by faith, I'm believing what he says, but I'm not doing it. Well, then we're not really taking God at his word, are we? We're not living by faith. But in in particular, there's a passage or section of Scripture here in Hebrews chapter 11 that is overwhelming, okay? And I'm going to read it more for the sake of illustration here tonight as we get started. Look with me in verse 32. Verse 32. And I'll read down through uh, uh, several verses here. It says in verse 32 And what shall I say more? Or what shall I more say? For the time will fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets. And there were many prophets. We're going to look at one of those tonight. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms. Maybe we we could talk about Samuel, the prophet, uh, dealing with uh, King Saul or... Maybe we could talk about Elijah, the prophet, dealing with Ahab, an idolatrous kingdom. But notice the next statement, because when we think about subduing kingdoms, we don't really connect with that very well. The next statement says wrought righteousness. Righteousness is doing what is right. How many of us ever struggle with doing what is right? Okay, so we can connect with this one. We can't really connect with... Subduing kingdoms, all that well. We understand what it is, righteousness. We know what that is. And the word rot means to toil or to labor for righteousness. And he says here that there were prophets who labored for, who toiled. And that has the idea of calluses or blisters or weariness, exhaustion, fatigue. They toiled, they labored for righteousness. And they did it by faith. You know, sometimes I think we, sometimes we feel maybe alone in toiling for righteousness. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel like, is it worth it? Sometimes we even lose track of what righteousness is. We lose our bearing a little bit. Uh, Or we're the only ones. But we're not alone in that toil. And there have been prophets and many other believers before us who toiled, who committed, who labored for righteousness. Obtained promises, it says. "Stopped the mouths of lions. Of course, that would be Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Escaped the edge of the sword. Some of them escaped the edge of the sword. We think of Moses. Out of weakness were made strong. Waxed valiant in fight. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens, the enemies of God. Women received their dead, raised to life again. We've read about that, haven't we? And others were tortured. So some were victorious on this earth. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, cut in two, were tempted were slain with the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. I'm going to stop there. It goes on. But I want to encourage you tonight with... um, An idea, or maybe just a word of encouragement to trust the Lord and press on in your walk with the Lord no matter where you are here tonight. And we have some, we have young people here tonight and you're in high school and, you know, you go to school and you've got friends and those friends aren't necessarily the best friends or the best influences on you and they're encouraging you to do wrong. Um, Or maybe they're not your friends, but but there's peer pressure. And I want to encourage you as some young people here that even though you may not feel like doing right, I want to encourage you to do right, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and we have folks who are older than high school age, and some are still in their 20s, and some of us are in our, I can't say us anymore, some of you are in your 30s. Uh, then there's us in our 40s. Not you, Tim. Uh, some of us are in our 40s. But you know, no matter where we are, whether we're in high school or our your 20s, your 30s and our 40s, your 50s, no matter where we're at in life and beyond that, uh, there is always this battle between taking God at His word and walking by faith and trusting Him. When we don't feel like it, we really, frankly can't see it. It's not working. Life's not working out the way we thought it was going to. A situation in life isn't working out the way we thought it was going to. Our, a marriage isn't what we thought it was going to be. A job, a ministry, it's not what we thought it was going to be. And when that happens, discouragement easily creeps in. And when we take our eyes off of the Lord Jesus Christ, we always make bad choices. And I want to encourage you as faithful members of Trinity Baptist Church, followers of Christ, stay the course. Okay, And there's some principles I think we can learn by looking at a man's life uh, named John, who was a prophet, who had presented and proclaimed and identified, actually identified Jesus as the Messiah. Uh, The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. I mean, John the Baptist was a man who stood for righteousness, and he was a man who... stood up against the religious estab- establishment of his day, and, and he didn't care. I don't think John the Baptist cared what people thought about him. I think he was a man of faith, and he was an excellent prophet. He did a wonderful job, and Jesus actually says that about John the Baptist. There's, not, there's never been anybody like him. I mean, he stood out. But there came a point in John the Baptist's life where he was in prison. And normally, our doubts come when... Um, when we're facing some opposition, some hardship. And John the Baptist began to doubt, and he actually wondered if Jesus really was the Messiah or not. That's where he had gotten to in his life. If that can happen to John the Baptist, I'm pretty sure it can happen to you and me too. And when we get to that place, and we're going to see how Jesus answers him tonight, and it'll help us, I think, in our walk with the Lord. Uh, So turn with me, if you would, to, to Matthew chapter 11, and that's where we'll be at for the remainder of the evening, for the most part. Matthew chapter 11 is where we'll go. While you're turning there, I'm going to read another passage of Scripture to you. Uh, throughout the summer months and even back into the spring, I think we've, on uh, Wednesday evenings, we've been doing some Bible studies on Bible characters, characters in the Bible. We've looked at a number of different men and some women in the Bible. And uh, in the Old Testament, primarily, is where we've been. And one of the wonderful things about studying uh, people in the word of god and in particular old testament individuals is this and i'm going to read you a passage from the new testament romans chapter 15 and listen to this in verse number 4 it says this for whatsoever things were written aforetime and of course the old testament all of that was written before romans was for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience, that's endurance, and comfort of the scriptures, what we read about these Old Testament saints who struggled, who fell, like Samson, like David, or who were all alone, maybe, like Daniel and others, young and old, that we as we study these Old Testament Bible characters, these things were written for our learning, that we, through patience, endurance, and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Hope. John the Baptist, in our text, was struggling to some degree with hope. He had given everything that he had in his short life. And at this particular point, he's in prison, and we know that he never gets out of prison again. His head was going to be severed from his body. He didn't know that at the time. He'd given everything that he had. Uh, He had been honest. He'd been truthful. He had relayed the message from God as God the Father had identified Jesus as the Messiah. John the Baptist had been faithful to his calling. And now he's in prison and discouragement and doubts kind of coming at him, like maybe the waves come in on a shore. They're not the big breakers, but just the consistent, steady ebb and flow of the water as it works the sand away. You know what I'm talking about over a period of time. John the Baptist is in prison and he actually sends messengers to Jesus and he asks him, are you the one? And and there's almost a sense of, please tell me you're the one. Because I've given everything I have. And Jesus gives him a response. And so let's, let's look at it here tonight. And let's begin reading in Matthew chapter 11, verse 1. It says this, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, and speaking about John the Baptist, he sent two of his disciples, and he said unto him, unto Jesus, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah, or aren't you? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, John, Talking about John the Baptist, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind. What went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment. Behold, they they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. Jesus is talking about John the Baptist here. He says, "For this is he of whom it is written, Behold." I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. That's Jesus talking now. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John... And if ye will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll look at this passage where we have John the Baptist in prison, wondering, Jesus, are you or are you not the Messiah? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray tonight, I speak to the faithful, uh, those who by their lives have proven Many of them have proven now for many years that they believe this book is true and they believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that he is God, that he will rule and reign forever. And yet, Father, in this life we are weak. In this life we struggle with our own flesh and temptations of this life. We, go, we live this life born for adversity, struggling at times, doubting at times. Father, I pray that you would strengthen the brethren tonight. I pray that you would give us comfort of hope. We leave here tonight, maybe our circumstances have not changed, but we leave with hope and an assurance that all is well because we have a Savior in Jesus Christ, the Lord. So teach us, I pray, by your word from this man's life, John the Baptist. Thank you for him. Thank you for your word. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to consider the life of this Old Testament prophet, the forerunner of Jesus. And I want to just make three observations from his life in the time that we have. I think it'll be helpful to you. Number one, I notice first of all, that John the Baptist's life had an enthusiastic beginning. Uh, He had really an amazing start to life, so to speak. I can remember um, when uh, we didn't have any children. We slept through the night, you know, perfectly. And, uh, and I had come out to Michigan. I'd left Cindy in Pennsylvania. We had, we had been married a couple years at that time. I came out to Michigan. I was getting some things ready. We were getting ready to start into evangelism. And, uh, and Cindy and I would call and we'd talk every night. And uh, that night she called me. And I, I'll never forget getting the call from her and hearing enthusiasm in her voice that was abnormal. I'm sure she had a lot of enthusiasm calling me, you know, regularly, so I'm, this was abnormal enthusiasm, and, and before she could tell me the news, I knew that we were expecting. Um, It just, there was something about her voice, 606 miles away, and I was, I can remember almost holding my breath, waiting, and thinking, tell me, tell me, and she said, we're expecting. And, and, uh, and then it turned out to be Ian, you know, and we've been blessed ever since. But that was Ian's beginning, okay? And it was exciting. And it's a fond memory that I have of Cindy calling me with the good news. But there was, John's birth was extra special. Uh, you're, in, you're in Matthew chapter 11. Look with me over, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. And I want to read about it just a little bit. Luke chapter 1. John the Baptist had an exciting, special beginning. In fact, John the Baptist's birth was announced by an angel. Cindy announced Ian's birth. Uh, John's birth was announced by an angel of the Lord. It says in Luke chapter 1, look at verse number 13. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Verse 17, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wouldn't that be an amazing birth announcement? No. If an angel of the Lord came to Pastor Burden and told he and Mrs. Burden, you're going to have another child and this is who he's going to be. Wouldn't that be exciting? No. Oh, well, we need to pray for the burdens. (laughs) Anyway, that's distracting. John the Baptist's birth was an exciting event. You can turn back to Matthew chapter 11. You know, I I think John the Baptist, his parents would have known this, obviously, before he was ever conceived. Um, John the Baptist, I think, would have been told these things from a small child. This is who you are. You know, I look at my four children. I don't really know what God has for them. Um, sometimes I have ideas, flickers. Sometimes I really wonder, you know. But John the Baptist's parents knew what God had for him. He was a special individual. It was a special announcement. And, and I think John the Baptist must have lived his life anticipating the coming of the Messiah. I mean, this was his role. His parents had been told this, you are going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's going to identify the Messiah. I think John must have lived with some anticipation. I imagine that Zacharias and Elizabeth must have told John how the angel of the Lord announced his birth. and John's parents were old. I think they died early, and maybe even while he was yet a boy. It's likely that he grew up in the desert, his skin, the Bible tells us would have been dark because of the hot sun. His food was locusts. He ate locusts and honey. And don't feel sorry for him. That wasn't weird. That's what desert people ate. It wasn't uncommon, is what I'm telling you. It was a little uncommon in town, maybe, but not outside of town. And that's where he would have lived, in the desert. And so John had baptized, and he had announced, the, announced Jesus as the Messiah. And I'm talking to you again about his enthusiastic beginning, part of his life. Many of us can look over periods of our lives where God was working and he was moving and he was opening doors and we look back with fond, very fond memories about things that God has done in our lives in the past. And we should. We shouldn't forget those things. Look with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. You're in Matthew 11. Look over to Matthew chapter 3. John had baptized Jesus. I, nobody else did that. Just John the Baptist. John the Baptist had identified Jesus as the Messiah. Look at Matthew 3 and verse number 13. It says this, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer, or permit it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and, lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And, lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, this was something John the Baptist experienced. This was part of his role. I, do you not think that that was a highlight in John the Baptist's life? I mean, you think about We read that. We know that story, right? John the Baptist baptized Jesus. You think that would have been the highlight for you if you'd been John the Baptist? I mean, that might have been it. Or maybe it was when he, it, the Lord finally identified him to John the Baptist and, and John the Baptist realized this is the Messiah. I wonder if the man slept for a while. And everywhere he's going, he's saying, uh, Behold, look and see the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. The Messiah is here. I mean, they've been waiting for him for all of these years, and here he is. must have been so exciting. Some of us look back in times in our lives. Some of us have had the privilege to go to New York City on the missions trip, and we've enjoyed some amazing things that God has done. I can remember going to camp as a young person and God working in my life. I can remember going to Harvest Fest and the Word of God being preached and knowing full well that God was speaking to me through his Word. You know, there have been different... Parts of my life where I can see how I I knew God was working their highlights. I think this had to be a highlight for John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist had heard of Jesus. He had observed the results of Jesus' miracles. In John chapter 1 and verse 29, it says, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, saith, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. In verse 36 of that same chapter of John, it says, And looking upon Jesus, he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. I I think enthusiasm must have defined John the Baptist's life early on. John's birth announced by an angel. John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And all of this had to be so exciting. Many people began to, to give their lives to Christ with great enthusiasm, only to have that enthusiasm smothered by doubts, unbeliefs maybe a love for this world. We still see that today. Many believers have a wonderful beginning in a local church only to have their enthusiasm for the Lord crushed by a fellow believer who says one thing and then does something else called being a hypocrite. I can remember when I first started traveling in evangelism and I had such lofty dreams and goals and it wasn't that God didn't do miraculous things. I look back at those years with much enthusiasm, God did miraculous things. But it wasn't all that I anticipated it being. Sometimes people take us for granted. Sometimes life doesn't measure up to our expectations. Sometimes things get a little tight, and all of a sudden we begin to lose our enthusiasm. No, surely John the Baptist could have said that, I'm preaching truth, I'm declaring the coming of the Messiah out of obedience to God, and yet still doubts came swirling into his life. And you're in chapter 11 of Luke, or excuse me, of Matthew. Look there, if you would, again, Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse 1. You're there, I'm not. Matthew 11, look at verse number 1, and notice some of these doubts. That John endured, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. And now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, so he hears what God, what Christ is doing, but he's in prison. Life's not going the way he thought it was going to go. He sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Are you the promised one? Or do we look for another? This is interesting to me. Wait a minute, John. You, God the Father identified Jesus to you. You're the prophet who identified him. God told you. You baptized him. You, you saw, you heard the voice from heaven. But now he's in prison, and and even though he had this enthusiastic beginning to his ministry, he's a fairly young man for the most part. He's had a lot of success, a lot of expectations, but his expectations aren't being met. They're not being fulfilled the way he wanted it. And so he's in prison, and these doubts are swirling around. You know, after such an exciting beginning, John the Baptist, he's never going to get out of prison now. And with all this time he has to think, being in prison, I think he begins to doubt. Maybe Jesus isn't the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is just another prophet. Why isn't Jesus setting up his royal throne on earth? Somebody comes in to see John and tells John what the people wanted, that the people of Israel, remember, wanted to set Jesus up. As a king, but you remember what we studied in John? Jesus refused it? Wait a minute, John has to be thinking why would he refuse it? He's the Messiah. Of course he's going to be king. You know, don't let discouragement hinder you from following the truth, and that's what discouragement will do. Discouragement will keep us from following the truth. Being discouraged with what God is doing in our lives, where we're at in life, will actually keep us, it will handicap us, it will weigh us down and keep us from following the truth, from walking by faith. Where are you you at in life? Are you discouraged? Are you worn out? There's different kinds of discouragement, I suppose. Are you worn out? Are you disillusioned with where you're at in life, with some particular things in your life? Do you wish things were different than they are? John, frankly speaking, wished things weren't happening the way he thought they were supposed to happen, the way he thought they were going to happen. And discouragement was creeping in. Don't let discouragement hinder you from following the truth. Don't let the lies of the devil distort your view of what is right. For John the Baptist, it really boiled down to Jesus wasn't doing what John the Baptist expected him to do. Jesus wasn't fulfilling John the Baptist's expectations. Sometimes in my life, God doesn't fulfill my expectations. There have been times in my life where it's not what I think it should be. It's not working out the way I think it should work out. You know, John endured these unfulfilled expectations. I think it's probable that John the Baptist, like Jesus' disciples, thought that Jesus was going to set up his earthly kingdom. I think John expected that. I think John expected that Jesus was going to cast off the oppression of the Roman government. I think John might have imagined himself announcing Jesus as king. I think he imagined that he was going to be out of prison at some point and that Jesus was going to rule and reign and that John the Baptist was going to be the one to be able to announce him, here he is, the Messiah, the King of Kings. Things weren't looking that way. Jesus was denying the crowds. He wasn't embracing them. He wasn't embracing the popularity. He actually seemed to be decreasing it at times. Maybe John thought that he would be the one riding ahead of him and exalting him and lifting him up. Of course, we know that didn't happen. And what's more... John was in prison. You're in Matthew 11. Look to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And if you want to know what happened to John the Baptist, we read about it here in Matthew chapter 14. Look at verse number 1 of Matthew 14. It says, At that time, Herod the tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. He was famous. And said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. And therefore, mighty works to show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. Herod had taken his, brother, his brother's wife for himself. Verse 4, For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. John the Baptist told Herod, You're breaking the law of God. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude. Herod would have killed John, but he feared the multitude because they counted John the Baptist as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced. This would have been Herod's niece. She danced before them and pleased Herod. And it was not anything like an innocent sort of dance that she would have danced. Verse 7. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask, and she, being before instructed of her mother, said, "'Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. "'Cut off his head and give it to me. "'That's what I want.' "'And the king was sorry. "'Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, "'and them which sat with him at meat. "'he commanded it to be given her. "'And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. "'And his head was brought in a charger "'and given to the damsel, "'and she brought it to her mother.' And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. We can go back to Matthew chapter 11. John endured imprisonment. He endured unfulfilled expectations. Ultimately, John the Baptist was beheaded. Do good things always happen to people who do right? Yes or no? I'll ask that again, do good people always do good things always happen to people who do what is right? No. John the Baptist did what was right and it cost him his head. You say, Pastor, that's encouraging. But we read about John the Baptist, don't we? John the Baptist will have a special place in God's kingdom. I read to you from Hebrews chapter 11 about those prophets, remember those prophets, who wrought and toiled for righteousness, and even died for it. And I'm telling you this because every one of us in this room, most of us in this room are never going to be faced with a situation where deny Christ or you're going to be sawn in two pieces. Most of us in this room are not. I don't know that any of us will ever face that. But every one of us in this room are facing We're faced with a choice either to choose the lesser way, the way of our world, the wider path, the way of unrighteousness, or we have the opportunity to toil for righteousness' sake, to work for it. And when we fall, as the Bible says, a just man falleth seven times and riseth yet again, riseth up again. We have that opportunity by faith to follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist he could have just kept his mouth shut and never said a word to Herod. Do whatever you want to do. I'm not going to say anything. But he said something. He said what the Bible said. And Herod hated, for, hated him for it and would have killed him for it. But the, he, John the Baptist was popular. But then the woman that Herod had married, the wife of his brother, literally put her daughter up to this. Dance before Herod and he will lose his mind over you. And when he does, and he asks you what you want, you tell him you want John the Baptist's head in a basket. The niece didn't care about John the Baptist. This wasn't her idea. And Herod did ask, and the niece did ask, and so he had his head chopped off. John endured imprisonment, and so good things do not always happen to those who do what is right. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why are the evil of our day seemingly getting away with lie after lie after lie? Why isn't the Lord doing what I think he should do, maybe, is what you're saying? The Psalms say something of this in Psalm 73. You might remember the Psalm, the prayer of Asaph, and he says this in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. He says, But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish. Are you listening to this, teenager? He looked around at the foolish of his day. And they weren't that much different than the foolish of our day. Except for the foolish of our day, have a playlist, and the foolish of their day didn't have a playlist yet. There were no movies in those days, but there was still the lust of one's heart. The idols just showed themselves differently. The covetousness is the same. And Asaph looks around and he says, "My feet were almost gone. I'm stumbling." My, my, my step had well nigh slipped. I'm slipping. I'm losing my footing. When I was envious at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, they looked, the people who are wicked seemed to be getting away with it. They seem to be having a great time. We have some folks in this room, and, and of all ages, and we've got some in this room. You know, and Aaron, Catherine, you're, you're engaged and you're planning a wedding, and we've got others here who've been married now for a year. Maddie, you are engaged in October. It's coming a wedding. Some of us have children in the home. Some of us have children outside of the home. We have different titles. Some are in Christian education. Others, um, I don't know that we have any here, but in public education, we have people in all different kinds of walks of life. But every single one of us, I think to some degree is where Asaph was. and We're looking around, and we're all making this decision throughout each day of the week. Which way am I going to go? Some of us are deciding, you know what, I'm going to follow righteousness. We're having to deny self. And self seems to be pretty strong. Others of us are saying, you know what? I'm just going to get away with whatever I can get away with. I'm going to bet that I'm not going to get caught. Some of us are trying to serve God and serve ourselves at the same time. We're trying to be friend straddlers. And I just want you to know, you're not the first one to this party. People have been in this position, in your very position time and time and time again throughout human history. He says, For there are no bands in their death. There seem to be consequences in, in their way of living, but their strength is firm. They're not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued as other men. This is Asaph speaking. And then in verse 13, it says this, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Asaph goes so far as to say, I've, I've done what's right, and it's all empty. That's where he was. That's how low he was. And then I'll skip ahead, and I'll look down at verse number 17. It says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, that secret place of the Most High, and his perspective changed there. And he said, then understood I their end. Every one of us, as we go through this next week, like we went through last week, we're going to make choices. And I want to challenge you some of you who are in high school, some of you are not in high school, you're in elementary school. Can I challenge you to make the right choice? Make a choice that's based upon what God's Word says. Stand for righteousness. Don't just go with the flow. And for all of us here, we're not in high school anymore. You're not in elementary school anymore. Can I challenge you, don't just go with what your flesh, the inclination of your flesh is. Don't do it. And you might think in your mind at this very moment, but Seth, nobody's going to know. God knows. God knows. And everything that we do in this life is going to be made public someday. We're going to be known as we are known. Every word of our mouth. And I want to challenge you to run the race that God has set before you with patience. If you're in high school, don't bemoan living in this day and age. And I don't know that anybody does in high school. Don't, you know, I used to, when I was in high school, I used to think it would have been really cool to have been a teenager in the 60s. Because guys wore T-shirts and drove Or Mustangs and Camaros and Firebirds, and I hadn't seen a whole lot from the '60s. That's all I had seen. Volkswagen buses didn't enthrall me at all, but those Camaros and T-shirts, for some reason, those were cool to me. But you know what? God had me born right where He wanted me to be born, and God had you born right where He wanted you to be born. Things are getting worse in some ways, and yet God is still more than able. And you know, as your pastor, and I'm speaking to some of you who are school age right now a little bit tonight. As your pastor, I I want you to know I'm praying for you and I'm rooting for you. I'm behind you. I want you to succeed. And not just someday in the future, but right now. I want you to be unusual, not like the world in which you live. I want you to be different. Because God wants you to be different. Because Christ lives inside of you. Because you've been forgiven of your sin. You don't have to walk in that. Area. I don't want you to be different from the other kids at school just because you go to Trinity Baptist Church and I need you to uphold the name of Trinity. That's not my greatest concern. My greatest concern is this may be all that you have, this might be the extent of your race. You may never go to college work and toil for righteousness. Be different. Stand for what's right. Do what's right. Obey the, the omnipotent, the all-powerful Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. Don't look at it. Don't listen to it. Don't laugh at it. Be different. Say yes to your Savior. Say yes to the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And it's not just those of us who are in grade school. It's the rest of us, too. Say yes to him. Toil for righteousness. I want to notice, and we'll end with this, John's gentle reminder. He has this enthusiastic beginning. Many of us can remember a time in our lives where we remember the good old days. Sometimes we talk about those. But now we see John is enduring this terrible discouragement at the highest level, and many of us know what that is like. But then I see how Jesus encourages John the Baptist, and all of us need a reminder of the truth throughout our lives. Every one of us need to be brought back to reality in our thinking. And and the best way for that to happen is to be reminded of who Jesus is. This week I texted a friend, uh, and I don't know all the words that I texted, but two of the words were this, Jesus saves. He is our Savior. We have a Savior. We have a deliverer. Our hope is not in me. It's not in you. It's not in a person. It's not in an organization. And I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that your hope isn't in you? The older we get, the the worse me sounds. The more I realize I need the Lord. Jesus saves. And and, and we need to be reminded of who Jesus is. Look at verses 4 and 5. You're in Matthew chapter 11. Look at verses 4 and 5. And remember in verse 3 the question was, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Verse 4 Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. So Jesus hears the disciples of John the Baptist say, should we be looking for another or are you the Messiah? And Jesus answers them, go, I want you to go back to John the Baptist, and I want you to tell him what you're seeing me do, what you're hearing about me. Look at verse 5. What was it that they were seeing and hearing that Jesus was doing? Verse 5, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus reminded John of who he was. That's what Jesus did. And you know, for the discouraged heart, for the distraught heart, for the heart that's starting to waver, the hearts that's disenchanted and discouraged and just saying, you know, this life isn't working out the way I thought it was. I said yes to the Lord. There were times in my life, and I, as a young person, I said said yes to the Lord, and I said yes to the Lord, and I didn't always say yes to the Lord, but I said yes to the Lord, and here I am. And and now what? Discouragement? Not what I thought it was going to be. John, that's where he's at. He's in prison. This isn't the way I thought it was going to be. Are you are you who I are you who I thought you were? And Jesus reminded John of who he was. The prophet Isaiah had prophesied of the Messiah in Isaiah 35, and Jesus, in essence, quotes from Isaiah here. In Isaiah 35 and verse 5 it says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. They're going to hear. This was the sign of when the Messiah would come, and John would have known this passage. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Much of Isaiah's prophecy would apply to the millennial reign of Christ, but some of Isaiah's prophecy was a fulfillment and was fulfilled during the first coming of Christ. And John would have known these prophecies but he needed to be reminded you know you and i need to be reminded as well our savior is faithful our savior is true our savior is love he is good he makes no mistakes he never leaves us nor forsakes us he comforts us in our distresses he is righteousness he is our righteousness he is our forgiveness He is the Lord, and he will rule and reign as King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever and ever. We need to be reminded of who he is. You know, the things of this life, they pass. They come and they go. We change. People around us change. Things change. But our God never, ever changes. Be reminded of that. Hope in that that he doeth all things well. That no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Consider that, even where you are at. And you say, "Well, well, shouldn't I be having these blessings, or shouldn't I be having these blessings? And comfort yourself in the fact, as I have comforted myself in the fact, that no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. He doesn't hold anything back. I have everything that I need. We need to be reminded to trust him. Look at verse number six as we draw to a conclusion. In verse six he says, And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Who won't be offended, who won't be discouraged in me. You know, when we're discouraged that God is not doing what we think he ought to do, we should be reminded that God's ways are higher than our ways. Isaiah 55, 9 says that, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He's actually put you where you are for reasons that are known to him. You say, well, I really would like to know his reasons. When I surrendered, when I said yes, when I gave up these things to follow him, It was under the understanding that he was going to bless. What do you mean by that? That he was going to do what you wanted him to do? Kind of. I surrendered knowing that he was going to do something incredible with me. No, he isn't. Or it doesn't look like it. You see, what God does is always incredible. You and I, in this society of ours, and it's not new to our society. We're always impressed with the wow. We want to be wowed. How many of you? How many root for University of Michigan football team? I see your hand. Not that many after yesterday. I see that. How many of you University of Michigan football fans were wowed yesterday? Y'all had a conniption, and we could hear the Michigan State fans cheering from the next door houses over. Yay, go army. We like to be wowed. We like to be impressed. We like superstar stuff. We like superhero stuff. Can I just tell you, sometimes what God does is is wow. Sometimes what God does doesn't look wow, but it still is wow. And just because it doesn't look wow, just because we don't see it from God's perspective doesn't mean it isn't wow. It's a miracle. God's working. He ordained it. He chose it. He ordered it. And just because it's not exactly what I wanted it to be or in the time I wanted it does not make it wrong. He's not wrong. Don't be offended at him. Don't be offended at it. That's what it says in verse 6. Happy is the person whosoever shall not be offended in me. In Psalm 61, in verse 2, it says, From the end of the earth I will cry unto thee, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In essence, Jesus was saying, John, it's going to be okay. John, I have a plan. And the same is true for you and for me. God has a plan in his way is best now I've already read to you the rest of the story what happened to John you know I wish I could stand before you here tonight and say God's way is best and then there was another earthquake like with Peter but there wasn't another earthquake in John's case it wasn't an earthquake You know what happened to John the Baptist? When they came and they got him and he didn't know what they were going to do and they took him out of his cell and they told him to kneel perhaps. And I don't know exactly how this went with John. Maybe they had him kneel and they slung his neck over an old piece of wood and the chopping block. he would have heard maybe the whir of the axe some intense pain and then he was with his God forever and ever and ever, and ever. you see this life you and I hold on to it we grip it white knuckle gripping like it's all there is we need to be reminded that this is not all there is And I know it's all we know Believe me, I know this is all, this is how we feel. This is, we act like this is all there is. This is all we know. But I'm encouraging you as your pastor, as many believers have gone before us and they have trusted the Lord, even to the losing of their own lives on this earth. they were willing to follow Christ and give their own lives to follow him. We will rule and reign with our Lord and Savior for all of eternity. Stand for right in your school. Trust the Lord in this life. Church family, do right. I've been reminded so much over the past year how easily we can fall, how vulnerable we are. In some ways, it's made me terrified for you as as my church family. Then I'm reminded of who we serve, and I'm encouraging you tonight, look to your Savior and live for him and say no to the devil. Say no to unrighteousness. Say no to unbelief. And by faith, as you and I stumble and fall through this life to some degree, let's live to the glory and praise of our Savior. Okay.